At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Sold the Gary Yamamoto. Yeah. Of course, uh, it was a really fun deal, though. Uh, we sold that to a, a Good Sports Marketing or GSM Outdoors out of Dallas. Uh, we worked with Phoenix Bass Boats over the years. Worked. Uh, we sold a local uh, outdoor specialty uh, retailer, Rock Creek Outfitters, mm. uh, here in the Chattanooga area. Uh, we also, years ago, did some work for uh, uh, frog togs, which you know obviously makes out, outerwear and mm-hmm. waders, and, and we also actually have another client. Can't can't give the name on that, but it's in the outdoor uh, hunting arena that makes uh, gear and and some apparel. So mm. we're, we're hopefully going to be taking that to market in the next few weeks. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. I'm Andy Stockett, and this is the Tom Rowan Podcast. All right, Andy, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, Tom. How about you? Great. I'm glad to have you in person here. This is fun. Um, you been fishing lately? Uh, I have. Uh, just got back a couple of weeks ago from Louisiana to the uh, Chandelure Islands. You love that trip, the Chandelure Island. Tell <laughs> me about that. What what you do and where you go out of? Uh, we go out of Biloxi. Uh, we've been doing this trip with a bunch of guys, mainly from Chattanooga, for probably twenty. I think we figured it was twenty six years or so. Wow. Um, the and the Chandelures are just a wonderful barrier uh, chain of islands uh, that kind of kind of run due south of Biloxi um, into the Gulf. They are yeah. actually kind of thought of as the Barrier Islands kind of protect New Orleans and uh, from the hurricanes, which it's done, unfortunately, over the last 15 years. A lot of them have had direct hits from Katrina and Ivan and all those things, so it's chopped them up a little bit, but it's still just a wonderful place. There's nothing out there except for, um, you know, birds and fish. Yeah, and so w- as far as the fish goes, you catch them mostly redfish and trout, or what What do you catch out there? Yeah, well, we usually go in the springtime uh Try to hit that window when the temperatures, uh, water temperature is going through, you know, the mid 60s or so, and 
hopefully we can get both redfish and trout at the time. Nice. And over the last 20 years that you've been going, 26 years, is that what you said? Uh, yeah, I think that's 26 right years that you've been going there. How have you seen that place change when, I mean, I know one time we were driving by that and uh, when we were doing the redfish tournaments and my, my friend Anthony, he's like, that's Chandelure Islands. We never, we never fished there. I've never fished there, but I've driven by there. And then another time we went by a couple of years later and it was substantially smaller, right? Like it looked like it had taken a, a hit. So with your familiarity of it, has it changed over the last 26 years when the hurricanes have hit it or? Definitely. They've gone through a lot of times, you know, that when you, when you got a big, uh, like a Katrina come, came in and probably cut passes through the islands. The islands themselves are maybe, you know, maybe 400 yards wide in some of the wider places there. And, and so you've got the surf on the uh, uh, eastern side, and then you've got grass flats on the inside. Mm. And unfortunately, when they take a direct hit, you get that big storm surge, and it can you know, kind of cut a whole – a, a new pass in there, which can be good for the fishing the right. next year. Right. But the other side is it can sometimes push a lot of sand over onto the mm-hmm. grass flats. And there's been talk about restoration of grass flats out there uh, yeah. recently. So much of Louisiana, the last time I went there, I, I was just, I, my friend told me where we were. And I was like, man, I don't even recognize this place. Cause he's like, yeah, we used to, we used to fish way out there. And the, you know, the, the marsh has, it, it is it, a lot of it's disappeared out there so i didn't know if that was happening in um oh yeah in we, the chandeliers got, or, yeah and i've got you know over 26 years i've got a zillion waypoints mm-hmm. <laughs> that i've uh, put on my gps and unfortunately some of those you know that used to be a an island or a or a, a shell bar or something like that they're they're not there anymore right but other things start creeping right. up so it's part of that's the fun of going down there and yeah. figuring out what's new and and where's a new place and to so try. are you wading mostly are you fishing out of a boat or what do you do I'd say when I was a little younger, we would be a little bit. It was a little easier to hop out of a fourteen foot skiff and and uh, kind of go around the flats and sink into the mud and all those kind of things. We're we're probably doing a little bit more drifting these days. Uh-huh. I gotcha, I gotcha. Well, that's a real pretty place. I, that's kind of the equivalent, I think, uh, Louisiana's Marquesas Islands or something, where you go out there. There's no development. It's beautiful. It's a it's a can't miss kind of place. Like you're gonna have an awesome trip. And it's great. The the even though. You'll see other boats out there. It's just not the kind of pressure you're going to see, you know, inshore in Florida or some mm-hmm. places like that. So we like to say that the fish are maybe a little dumber. Right. And uh, so a lot of us like to fish a lot of top water out there. And as you well know, there's nothing better than watching a, a clumsy redfish try to try to hit a top water lure. You know, they miss it about three times, and you know your heart starts pumping. And it's a it's it's a great a thing great, to see. It's a great um, uh, when we used to fish those. Um, redfish tournaments somebody told me they're like redfish love buzz baits right you can so i took all my old bass buzz baits down there and they they do they do love buzz baits it's really pretty cool that's a that's a great bite um well i'll have to get to the chandeliers one of these days i'd, I'd like to do that trip are you staying on a houseboat is that what you do uh well it's not a how this is actually a about a hundred foot boat uh kind of like you'd see that would service an oil rig oh yeah and yeah. they've got it about uh Sleeps twelve up to twelve people, so they've got six rooms, bunk beds oh, yeah. in each room, uh, several two bathrooms with showers, and like a really big salon up there with a big screen wow. TV and air conditioning. Uh, chef, or chef, do you cook your own food? Oh, no, they cook everything for nice. you. Three meals a day. Uh, the only complaint I have is this year I got out there and I was having some construction done at my house, so I asked the captain if I could use the ship phone to call in, which I've done periodically over the years, and he said. No, man, we got Wi-Fi and cell phone coverage now, uh. which was a real big disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that commercial. The favorite uh, car commercial I've seen in a long time is where they're, they, they're, they're driving around in the woods and they keep looking at their phone, they keep looking at their phone, and then the, it's like they, you would think that they were looking for service, but they finally find a place where nobody has service, and they're like, all right, stop, and then they get out and do their thing. That was, that was a pretty good car commercial. It's hard to find those places these days. Yeah, yeah, so. it really is. Um, so one of the things I wanted to have you on today to talk about, like you're, um, well, tell 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 us what you do for a profession. Um, I'm what you call an investment banker, um, <clears throat> which as my grandmother said when I told her I was an investment banker, she said, does that mean you make investments? And I said, no. And they said, well, then if you're a banker, do you loan money? And I said, no. She said, then what does that mean? And uh 
it's actually a term for uh, people in our industry that that help owners and uh, everything from raising capital for their businesses to uh, doing merger and acquisition work and finding capital, et cetera. So uh, we're kind of in the profession. We call it professional services industry, right? And that's Four Bridges Capital. That's, that's Bridges the- Capital Advisors, uh, and we call ourselves a boutique investment bank because. Uh, we're not big like a Goldman Sachs. Um, we all of our people that work at uh, Four Bridges all have worked at bigger firms, uh, such as a Raymond James or a Price Waterhouse or whatever. But we're uh, just uh, six of us in the firm now, and uh, so we we call ourselves a boutique. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, before people that are really interested in fishing, their eyes glaze over and they're like, "Oh my God, they're going to talk about investment banking for an hour." Um, one of the things that's interesting about it is, is that I wanted to, to, to talk to you about it because I want to talk about it in terms of something that, you know, a large portion of our audience, we have people that listen to this show that are hardcore fishing guides. They fish every single day they've got, and they, they typically do that by themselves. They're a one man show. They have repeat clientele and they're going to do it, you know, for forever, maybe. Or maybe they get injured, or maybe they decide that they want to expand their business or sell their business. So I want to talk about some things that that might apply to them. And of course, we have other people um, that are on the other end of the boat, right? There, the you got the guy in the back of the boat, you got the CEO in the front of the boat very often. And those CEOs also might be thinking about, well, you know, it might be time to to either expand my business. And in, in order to do that, I need some help to to reach the growth that I that I want. And what does that look like? A lot of people haven't ever gone down that road. They don't know. And that's what you do. And in in, in addition to that, what you helped us with the first time about what 12, 10 or twelve years ago, we had some ideas on expanding out to doing other shows. Like we we have Saltwater Experience and Into the Blue. And this was when we were just thinking about like should we even think about doing into the blue or like, what does that look like? And uh, then even on the charter service, we were like, well, how many boats make sense and how many boats just start to, to not make sense. Right. And you really helped us with that. Like with, with box economics and looking at, at like systems and processes and the whole, the whole works. And so let's talk about first, like um, when it comes to like, the CEO is thinking about um, doing something. They're thinking about either taking on a partner, they're thinking about monetizing their business, which would mean a sale or an acquisition, um, and what that looks like from your side. Like, what? How do you help people to, to do that? Well, it's kind of like, as you said, you're talking about the guides that are out there. We, we take the role of a guide uh, as this, as not to get too into the weeds on analogies, but it is a journey. And when somebody decides it's, it's time for them to make some kind of transition of their business, uh, it, it's a complicated process. And the good news for business owners is that uh, there's a lot of options out there these days. You know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, uh, somebody had a, a metal bending business that they founded in their garage 20 years ago. And, you know, now they, uh, uh, they're getting you know, older and thinking about slowing down a little bit, but maybe they don't have children that can take over the business. So back then they would maybe just call up a business broker and it, uh, you try to quote list their, their company and see if you can find a buyer. Now a business broker would be the equivalent of a realtor. Like we're just going to represent you and we know we have, we have contacts with all these different people and we're just going to kind of represent you as opposed to what, what, what you do. Yeah, but the, the business brokers typically have take, do it as a listing, mm-hmm. so they put it out on their website or whatever. And as you said, they might have contacts where they've had, you know, 15, 20 people have said, hey, I'd like to buy a business. Keep me in mind if you ever get a business to sell. And typically these are going to be smaller businesses probably doing, you know, a million dollars in revenue or less. Uh, we tend to focus on uh, companies that are more in the $10 million range, uh, and that that when you get to that size, you can really go after so-called institutional buyers, mm-hmm. which could be bigger strategic buyers, which means they're in your same business, but they're but much bigger than you. It could be a publicly traded company, uh, or it could be a private equity fund. Uh, people that have gone out and raised 
pools of capital from high net worth individuals or uh, endowments, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that that wasn't available probably you know fifteen years ago for for companies of that size, but now it's a uh, there's a lot of options out there. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, you've had you've had success in the in the fishing kind of boating fishing business, right? Like you have helped other companies, right? Uh, we have. That's one thing I really like about my my job is, mm-hmm. although I do have a passion for what we call our hook and bullet practice. Uh, we also, you know, we go across a lot of other industries, manufacturing, building products, distribution, specialty construction. But uh, yeah, uh, over the years we've, we've worked with, uh, uh, we sold the Gary Yamamoto yeah. course. Uh, it was a really fun deal though. We sold that to a, a good sports marketing or GSM outdoors out of Dallas. Uh, we worked with Phoenix Bass Boats over the years. Worked, uh, we sold a local uh, outdoor specialty uh, retailer, Rock Creek Outfitters, mm. uh, here in the Chattanooga area. Uh, we also, years ago, did some work for uh, uh, Frog Togs, which you know obviously makes out- outerwear and mm-hmm. waders and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, and we also actually have another client, can't, can't give the name on that, but it's in the outdoor uh, hunting arena that makes uh, gear and, and some apparel. So mm. we're, we're hopefully going to be taking that to market in the next few weeks nice so when you see like like a yamamoto i mean can you talk about that at all like why why would he want to sell what was his motivation for for getting out or the business or selling the business or i don't know i don't even know what the structure of it was yeah i can tell you a little bit about it obviously don't get into too many specifics but you know gary obviously started the business back in the early 80s and uh you know came out with the senko Mm -hmm. which i think has been classified by several people as one of the top 10 bass lures ever. But, uh, you know, he had run it pretty much as a lifestyle business, and he was in his uh, uh, getting up in his mid to late 70s, uh, had a ranch in Texas uh, mm-hmm. where he raised his Wagyu beef or whatever. And, uh, you know, he, over time he started getting approached by some of these thing, uh, private equity firms that we're talking about or some of the other strategics that are in the already in the business and liked his brand and, you know, wanted to buy it. So uh, he had already had uh, a couple of parties reach out to him, and through one of our referral sources, they said, you know, you ought to talk to the guys at Four Bridges. So we got involved and um, proceeded to, to you know, work with some of the people who had already approached him, but we, we broadened the, the process. And the uh, interesting thing about the eventual buyer is that uh, they weren't on the original list because they'd been primarily doing just hunting. Mm-hmm. So you got back to saying, why would you? hire an advisor. Right. And sometimes it's because of the best buyers, not the most obvious one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I, I guess that's what you guys do is like go out there and, and with the contacts that you have and the, the experience that you have, you show it to a lot of different people or get it out there where, I mean, it might not have been obvious to that person either that that would be the, the buy that they would, they should look at buying that. Right. That's right. And again, it's just a little bit of the analogy for uh you know, reading a trout stream or something like that, you know, you got to go out and figure out are they going to be in the bubble line today? Are they going to be in the eddy? Where are they going to be? What right. rock are they going to be behind? Mm-hmm. And then, and then beyond that, you got to figure out how are we going to dress up this this bait and put it out there. Are you going to go with a, you know, a nymph today or top water or whatever? Right. So uh, uh, that's what again what I like about the business. That's cool. And so another thing, like when it comes to like a fishing guide, like the, the other scenario that we talked about, like a fishing guide or an outfitter or a hunting guide or some sort of an outdoor guide, right? Like a lot of people like that listen listen to this podcast. They create a business. It can be pretty profitable. It can be a lot of hard work, but it can also be a one-man show. And so what I've seen with a lot of the um, the fishing guides that that end up, moving on or retiring or whatever is they just kind of walk away. They don't, they haven't built their business in any way to sell their business or to transfer their business. And so when they walk away, there's, there's no value to it because all of their customers wanted to fish with them. And I just wonder like when, when you have a young guide that's listening to this and it's like, okay, well I can run my business a bunch of different ways. And I can I can just make some slight changes that could make major differences if I ever decide I want to get out. And I just wonder if you could kind of think about some of those things and and like what what kind of advice would you give 
a young guide like that to where they could build something that was actually transferable and valuable versus building a great business and a great reputation and winning a bunch of tournaments and then having something that is worth the value of a bunch of old broken fishing rods and a, and a, you know, maybe a, maybe whatever their boat's worth. I don't know. Like how, how, what, what things can you do in a small business like that to create value to where you create a business that is something that somebody else would want to buy? Maybe it's another guide coming in or maybe. Great, great question. Well, you know, um, you and, uh, you and Rich are certainly poster child, poster children of uh, of figuring that that out. You yeah. know, having gone from your backgrounds of of guiding and then being on the professional fishing circuits, and then you know figuring out uh, that's good, you know, fine and good. But you know, what what's the next chapter? Right. And you know that was, and I think that's what uh, we enjoyed about working with you guys when we did it. As you said ten or twelve years ago is to say, you know, we, we've got a business. Uh, or, or we're getting income, but what do we do to make this thing sustainable? And how do you professionalize it? Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of the exercise that I think we went through with you guys. And I would say that to the young guides that are out there, look, I'm in the same boat too. We're, we're all in the professional services business. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a guide or you're a, an M&A guy like me, you got clients that you got to serve. Uh, and hopefully if you're a young guy, you know, you ought to start looking at it as a business, not just as a Hey, I'm out. I'm out on the water. It's great because, as you well know, the years go by pretty quickly. And so, how would you do that? How do you look at it? Like, like it's really easy to to say that, especially with your background of dealing with businesses all the time. But somebody that is doing this may not really understand what that means. Like, how do you look at it as a business? Like, what do you? What are the things that that they should be paying attention to? Well, so many people run their even manufacturing businesses that we deal with. We we say that they're running the business out of a cigar box, mm-hmm. which means at the end of the month, they look in the cigar, the old cigar box, and if there's money in the cigar box, it was a good month. Right. And that was it. And uh, what I would suggest to anybody, uh, guides or anybody in the professional services industry, is to do start running with a business. Be Create a P&L for your income statement for your business and look to see what your revenues are coming in on a you know weekly, certainly at least a monthly basis. And starts figuring out, you know, how much money am I making? How much money can I start socking away in a, you know, a savings account or an IRA or whatever for the future? And then, obviously, if you're a guide, you've got some fixed assets that you got to deal with and inventory. You've got a boat. You've got a truck. You know, you've got equipment. Uh, you got to go buy bait or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, and the perishables like line and leaders and things like that. I would just urge people to, to you know, go find a good bookkeeper or CPA. It doesn't have to be, you know, a major price waterhouse or something like that, but just say, look, I'd like to professionalize my business and start thinking about what I've got. Mm-hmm. And then, and then from there you can try to think about other things you can do to, to, uh, extend the business. And so when, when you're talking about getting the bookkeeper or, or, Maybe it's just you, like QuickBooks, right? Like you could just get a QuickBooks and try to figure out how to do it on your own. The things that they're looking for, like how do you professionalize that business? Instead of running it out of a cigar box like you're talking about, how do they um, learn how to, like, I don't know, forecast or or plan so that they are professionalizing this business and it's not like, you know, hand to mouth every month. Well, you said, can you do it yourself? Well, it's kind of like me saying, yeah, I can go down to the Keys and rent a boat and try to go catch the fish like Tom Rowland does, but I'm not just, I'm not Tom Rowland. So, uh, again, I would tell those uh, guides to stick with what you what we say are your core competencies, mm-hmm. which is on the water, taking care of your cu- customers, and but get some professionals to help you to do this day in and day out. If anything else, they can they can challenge you to say, you know, when you when if they're if you got somebody that's objectively helping you with your books at the end of each month, uh, when you, you sit down and go, hey, I think I'm going to go buy a new truck, mm-hmm. uh, they might look at and say, now wait a second, let's look at this income you have right now. Are you sure you want to go in and uh, you know, double the payment that you've had on this old truck right now is now the time to do that. And by the way, you know, how's your health savings account looking right now? Do you have enough money that's going away for that? So, so what, what type of professional would that be that, I mean, 
like it could be just a bookkeeper or it could be somebody like yourself or like what what would somebody look for in that if you're just a one man show and you know cost is an issue but you want this kind of advice what what kind of person would you look for i would i would probably look for um again a maybe a, a local cpa uh-huh. so somebody who's probably a one man shop but you know in your community you know talk to people that you know other guides you know other Go to the marina. Whoever you're talking to owns the marina. With a, what a dealer, just find somebody. I mean, they're they're out there, and 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 with the internet, excuse me, with the technology that's out there, there are so so many virtual assistants mm-hmm. that, are, yeah, that yeah. you can you can get now. So uh, right, I, I would urge them to take a look at that. And then, like that's the that is the the thing that I see a lot is you see a you see a guide, and. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com you know, there's 365 days a year, so you can only fish that many days. Now, you can do double days, do triple days, but I don't know. You see a you see a guy with a brand-new boat, brand-new truck, kind of wondering how that adds up, and maybe is that a good way? I mean, maybe if it is, awesome, you know, fantastic. Maybe you figured out how to do it, and there's lots of deals that you can work with the boat companies and, and other things to where you can get a new boat every year and it's not just killing you but you know for some people it's a bad choice and that kind of advice that you can get where somebody's looking at how your year lays out and yes you make this tremendous amount of money at a certain time of the year and then it thins out you know maybe it's tarpon season or maybe it's you know some sort of tourist season and then it starts to to thin out getting that advice from somebody that's looking at it from a real dollars and cents could be incredibly valuable because getting in over your head on a boat payment or a truck payment or whatever could that could be the end of your your whole career and that's what I was hoping you know I've never heard anybody talk about this kind of stuff as far as it relates to one man shows and guides now you hear it all the time you know you can listen to these other podcasts where they're talking about you know selling businesses and big businesses and stuff like that and I know that's what you do and we're going to definitely talk about that but as far as it, the one man show, that's, it's a real, um, it's a real kind of challenge because a lot of people get into this business thinking, well, I don't want to do all that. I don't want to do all that other stuff. So I'm going to do this, but business is business, right? Like you have to run a business in a way that it's sustainable and you're not doing your customers any good. If, if you're going to be a fantastic fishing guide for five or six years and you just can't make it work because you've either gotten over your head in payments or, or I don't know, not enough trips coming in. I don't know what it is, but that same guy could have like made that truck last six or seven years longer and maybe may have been able to, to create a, a business that is sustainable, that they could do it for a really long time. Um, so that's some of the mistakes that, that I've seen people make is getting, getting over their head in payments, and that happens in every profession, in every, yeah, every business. Well, yeah, you touched on it again. I would just say take a step back and look at it as a business and think about when you get that boat and you get that truck, it's no different than, than a, a manufacturer buying a new piece of machinery. Mm-hmm. The day he gets that and he starts putting product through there, that, that machinery is depreciating. It's got a life to it. And so what people can tend to do, even in their personal lives, is they go buy a new car and, you know, they don't think about it. And then all of a sudden it's six years later and the transmission goes out on it and they haven't set any money away to take care of that transmission. And it winds mm-hmm. up being, you know, a fire drill to get it taken care of. So um, I would say do those same things for your, for your guide business and say, I've got these, this, these fixed assets, but they're depreciating every month. And you should be setting aside money every month to take care of those that rainy day thing when an engine goes out. Or uh, you know, live well's got to be replaced, or something like that. Then just just be thinking about it that way. What do you think are other really important things for for a young 
um, person in this type of business to be thinking about. Well, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, we we talked primarily about dealing with the CPA. The CPA is is the person that can you know tell you what's going on in your business with your dashboard, like you say that you know we call it you know key performance indicators, KPIs, like you, as you said, how many days of inventory do you have for fishing in a typical year? And, you know, before the year gets away from you, are you above, are you ahead of that? Are you behind? Where are you on, on, on your plan? Uh, you know, do you need to do some more, you know, advertising or marketing or something, or there's strategic alliances that you could be making with, you said, boat manufacturers, or whatever. So that's the, that's one part of the business. The second thing though, is the financial planning aspect. So, you probably think I'm loading you up with a bunch of professionals, but the fact is you're a business guy. So you got to have, have somebody who can help you pull your numbers together. So you know what you're dealing with, but then personally you get with a financial planner mm-hmm. who can sit down with you and ask you, say, okay, I know you're, you're, you know, you're you know, 32 years old right now. And you know, you've got two young kids, but where do you think you want to be in 10 years, 15 years? What are you going to do for college for those kids? Start thinking about, what that's going to be because, as you well know, I think you've got somebody getting married here pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, it, it happens in a blink of an eye. Oh, it happens so fast. And, um, you know, one of the things, too, is like so many states have the, these really um, incredible programs like Florida Prepaid College Program where y- you can pay for today's rates. And, like, what do you know about what college has done in the last 20 years? I mean, it's gone up. A considerable amount. So what you can do is you can lock it in at today's rate and you can pay that a little bit every month. And if you pay a little bit every month from when your kid is, is in kindergarten, you'll have it done easy. And then when, when you look at, okay, well now tuition is a hundred thousand dollars a semester in, uh, in the future. Well, you have it locked in at $20,000 a semester. And those are really smart things to do too. I mean, and, and even just to even just be, thinking about those things because most people I think find themselves in a position where they just got married and maybe they're having a baby and it's like, okay, well now it's like urgency, right? Like got to feed the baby. We got to make sure that everybody's under, under a roof. We got to have everybody clothed and fed and, and happy, but you're not thinking about 20 years down the road and there is money to be doing that. It doesn't take a lot of money over a small amount of money over a long period of time makes a lot of money, right? Like yeah. with compound interest. Uh, there was, uh, you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, the compounding of uh, interest on, on money is phenomenal. Uh, so that's something that people should be thinking about. And, and, and what, what kind of vehicle, like what compounding interest in anything in particular would you suggest or or like what's the simplest what's the simplest uh vehicle for somebody to to compound interest well again i'm going to stick with my core competencies <laughs> and and not get into the world of financial planning but uh i would just say again get with a good financial planner everybody's picture is going to be different some you may have people may be starting out with no assets which is you know you just got to start First of all, just putting it into a money market account so mm-hmm. you've got enough for, you know, six months of whatever you need. And like you said, if somebody got injured or whatever, just 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 to have a an emergency fund there. And then as that gets bigger, you know, then you can start thinking about investments, whether they're into mutual funds, you know, bonds, whatever. But that's going to be dependent upon the the individual. That's right. why that's why you need to kind of have that that that's again back to the CPA, a financial planner, and you're effectively creating a kind of a mini board of directors for your business. Yeah, yeah. You may think it sounds too complicated, but it's not. Well, I mean, that's what people do. And then, then that way, you, those are your advisors. And even on a very, very small business, you're getting really, really good advice. And that can, that can be incredibly important over time. And so, like, once people kind of get into that frame of mind and then they start thinking, okay, well, you know, I have figured out how to meet my customers at the dock. I have figured out how to take care of my equipment. I have figured out how to keep everyone safe and happy and have them, everybody's having a good time. And I actually catch some fish. Now it's kind of like, okay, those things are all kind of default for, for, for a lot of guides. Now 
I want to think about creating a business that is that has some value to it. And that's a real hard thing for a lot of people to to get their head around is like you could there could be something in your business, even if you're just a a, a single sole proprietor, hotshot fishing guide, maybe there's some things that you could you could have that are of value. Like maybe it's your slip at the marina. I don't know. I mean that a lot of those slips at the marina, um, you could buy them for, you could buy the slip or lease the slip for a period of time, and over time that that goes up just like real estate, right? So, um, how important is it as you're developing a, a, the value of your business is to be thinking about some sort of assets that could be transferable, like a second boat, a second guide, um, your website, like all of these these things that somebody could go in there and start a business. Like you may be leaving and your customer base may be leaving, but you could still start a business um, or that business can run without you. And that's what you guys have told us so much is like, you got to figure out how this business can run without you. It's like, that's really hard when we're the star of the show, we sell the show, we do all these things. And, but yet you got to figure out how, you could step away and it would still be valuable to somebody. Right. Yeah. And so with a fishing guide, that's what, that's what a lot of people kind of struggle with is like, well, it's just me and my boat, but does it have to be just you and your boat? Or could you be thinking about like developing some other assets? Like, could your website be worth something? Could, I don't know. Could your could your location be worth something at, at certain marinas? Certain marinas will be the difference between one guy working 250 days and, and another guy that's down the street working 100 days and just because there's more traffic at that marina. So that slip is super valuable. And if you had any sort of ownership or, or anything, kind of contract on that, that would certainly increase the, the value of your business, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. I think you're, you're, you're thinking in the right direction. I think that... Uh, uh, as I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of professional service models out there, whether it's a stockbroker or the, that same financial planner I've been talking about. That Again, it can be just like a guide. That person builds up a loyal client base every year. He's doing a financial plan for them every year. They come in and they assess how things are going. You know, the, a successful guide, uh, I know that I was just out in uh, Montana uh, at the end of March and going with a guide who – said that, you know, he probably 75% of his trips are repeat customers. Mm -hmm. So he's built up a book just similar to what the financial planner has. So the question is, how do you monetize that over time? And and what the financial planner does typically at some point in time uh, brings in somebody younger uh, into the practice so that those clients can start to be familiar with with him and, uh, you know, so that also not just the clients, but the client's children are, are comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. So the analogy ends up being somewhat similar if you're able to bring a, a partner into it, which can be tough. I mean, you know, it is true. Sure. You know, I know you and you and Rich were on your own for a long time before y'all decided to partner up. Yep. So, uh, it takes, takes a certain kind of, uh, uh, combination there that's going to work for everybody. But, uh, that can be helpful if you, if a guide brings in somebody younger and introduces them to his clientele, they click. Next thing you know, that as has the uh, that generation starts to kind of peter out a little bit, then the next generation comes along, and there's a way to transfer that business. Hmm. Yeah, that's 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 hard to get your head around. I think at, at some point, and it's hard even to think about. Okay, well, if I bring in this young guy and introduce him to my clientele, maybe they just end up just going with him, and there's nothing to transfer. So I guess you somehow you could protect yourself from that. But it's, uh, you know, in, in, in a single proprietorship like that, it's probably no different than the same thing has to happen in a regular, in a regular business, right? Like you have to kind of figure out what this transition is going to look like and, and what value you're either offering somebody that you're bringing in or what value when you bring that person in, what value is that giving your, your customers? Right, so they have more people to fish with, or I don't know. Your knowledge is spread further than just just you. So I don't know. Those are those are definitely things I think that um, that that guides need to think about, uh, especially young people getting into the business. But let's talk about the uh, 
like on the other end of the boat, the CEO kind of guy that that has, you know, maybe he's in his maybe he's in his 40s or 50s and he's thinking that I don't know, maybe he doesn't have a family member that might take over his business. Where where do you what does the story kind of look like the most uh, I know that probably everyone is different, but as you see people coming in and they're thinking, okay, well, just want to look at this process and see what it looks like. How do you kind of start to advise somebody? Well, the first thing we do is sit down and just say, you know, uh, we say if you could, uh, kind of a worn out expression, but just say if you could wave a magic wand, what would you like to see happen? And we start from there because uh, we, every situation is different. But uh, you know, do you are you at the point in your life and, and with your business where um, you would really just want to get the best offer you can, and you're ready to throw the keys and you know head to the beach, or is it one of those things where you know if I could slow down just a little bit and have some things taken off my plate, and and uh, but I still like you know dealing with customers, but maybe I don't like having to do insurance renewals every year or mm-hmm. feel like I've got to deal with a lot of, of uh, personnel issues. Um, could I could I do a transition that way? So we, we really got to have to find out what's going through that uh, client's mind. What about another scenario where somebody says, you know, I've always wanted to grow. I've never I've never had the money to do it, and like I'm looking for some I'm looking for a partner that will help me to build out this manufacturing thing. I mean, is that also a kind of a scenario that you see? Like that's a reason that people want to sell or or merge or or partner or be acquired in some way? Yeah, de- definitely. There's a, again, there's a lot of uh, private equity funds. I mentioned that earlier who look for opportunities like that. They want somebody who's still got some gas in the tank, but maybe, you know, maybe they're uncomfortable you know, borrowing and, and, and putting debt on the business and having to personally guarantee it. In that case, we help part them partner with a private equity fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's the, they come in and, and, uh, Put money in the business to grow it. Sometimes uh, the, the owner is able to take some chips off the table, and that could be where they still own a majority of the company. A lot of most of the time, we see situations where uh, if someone wants to remain with the business, we call it getting a second buy of the apple. They might sell seventy percent of the business to a private equity fund, uh, and and what we call roll equity into the into the company. So they stay there. They still get to be the CEO. But, you know, they've got some breathing room. They've got some of those chips off the table. They can go then diversify that. And, again, back to the financial planner, put it into – so you don't have all your eggs in one basket. Right. But then uh, the private equity folks bring – they bring capital to the business. You don't have to guarantee debt. And you've got that board of directors. So that's a lot of our clients, they've grown their business from scratch, and they're kind of the one-man show, do everything – and now all of a sudden you got some people that are you know sitting around a, a table and you got you got a board you can bounce things off and uh, uh, we've seen a couple situations with our clients where uh, we did that initial sale of control and they stayed with the company and it sold like two more times and they made more money off the following transactions as they did on the first and one. they're not doing anything with the I mean. They, they spent all this time building that business and then they're making more off a sale that they really have very little to do with than all of that work that went into building the business is, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's situations like that. Yeah. We, well, we've got, we've got one, uh, one of our clients who was, was in the uh, physical therapy arena and uh, they stayed with the, with the acquirer and the acquirer has been sold twice, but they've also been able to uh, kind of climb the corporate ladder and, mm-hmm. and go from being just, the you know physical therapy guy and uh, uh, treating customers to being a regional manager and sometimes a kind of a fix it guy, uh, and so their roles change a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's, it's fun to see some of those outcomes. How often do you see somebody that that comes to you and is like, I don't I don't know if my business is worth anything, and then you show them that it is worth a lot. Does that happen? Often, like, hang on, you got something here. Like, let me show you what you have here. Is that more common, or is it more common that somebody thinks that their business is worth millions and millions of dollars, and actually it's not that valuable because of the way that they have built it or run it or or whatever? Which one? I'm sure you see both. No, that's (laughs) you're right. We see both of them. Uh, We've had situations where 
uh, somebody says, hey, we'd like to get a valuation done for my partner. Um, we want to put a buy-sell insurance policy in place, and we just want to kind of see what it's worth. And, you know, when we go back, go out and do our research and come back with a number, they go, wow, uh, maybe it's time for us to sell this thing or get some, take some chips off the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as you said, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, somebody always hears, you know, at the country club that somebody's business sold for 10 times cash flow or something. So they immediately think that their business is worth that. But, you know, there's a variety of things that go into what a business is worth. And, uh, you know, we certainly can give people a realistic picture of what that, what it looks like and, and circle back again to the financial planner. Cause if somebody's in a vacuum thinks their business is worth X and that they're just going to retire one day and that's, and they're counting on that nest egg and it's really only worth half of that, uh, it'd be nice to know it sooner versus later. And, and also identify if it's, if it's not where you think it is, what can I do to improve yeah. it? That's really important because a lot of ways, I mean, when I've, when I've learned and when working with you guys and everything is like, you can think your business is valuable and you can think, you know, what people will pay for a business or whatever, but it's like, that may not be right. And if you just ran it differently, or if you focused on different things, you could create something that is actually worth something. And it wouldn't be that much different in your day or in your year or your anything like but you're you're thinking, okay, well, let's build something that's worth something as opposed to just building something that looks really cool or that I enjoy doing. And that's where the advice comes in, like of of well, these are kind of the things that people are looking for. This over here, it's nice, but it's not super valuable. And in a lot of cases, people might be like, well, I didn't even really like doing that anyway, yeah. right? <laughs> We like to try to find buyers that when they view our clients' uh, companies where they view it as a not a nice-to-have but a got-to-have. So if we go run a process properly, and we'll advise the clients that we've had. We did a transaction last year, and I think the first time I met with the CEO was in 2006. Mm, <laughs> you know, Really? Longer than you guys. Uh, wow. And, and uh, you know, just stayed in touch with them over the years, talked to them about things they could do to improve the business. So, you know, things like uh, that, that sometimes business owners don't think about. Like you may be throwing off a lot of cash, but if the business is based on, you know, 80% of the revenues are based on one customer, that's what we call a customer concentration. Mm. So that winds up being a ding on value when a buyer looks at it because they, they're afraid that customer could just go away. Um, you know, what are your, what do your facilities look like? If, and if a buyer comes in here, have you kept them upgraded and back to the fishing boat analogy, is your equipment good and new and, uh, or else are they going to have to sink a bunch of money into it? That's going to be a valuation ding, ding as well. And then also what's your management team look like? If you want to uh, cut back, who's there to, to run the show? Have you really brought some people along? So there's a human capital aspect of it as well. It's interesting. When you said that, I was just thinking, like when I was when I was guiding really hard, I went from having a new person every single day to having a new person every week. It's like, okay, well, this guy comes and he books this week, and then he says, same week next year. You say, sure, and you book that week right there. So now you have 52 customers. You used to have 300 customers. Now you have 52 customers. And then over the years, a lot of fishing guides will, will get to where – that same person now will come three or four weeks at a time. So now maybe you have 12 customers and then, then one of them really likes you and they, they spend, they, they buy a house in, in wherever you are. And, and then they're, they're fishing with you like a hundred days a year. And then you have, so now you have six customers and then you have five customers. Then you have three customers. You're fishing more than you ever have with three customers. They're all fishing 120 days with you. But like what you're saying is your business has become less and less and less and less and less valuable because those three people are getting older and older and older. You have taken yourself out of the, out of the, the advertising mix. Like those three people know how good you are and they, they'll, they obviously will do anything to fish with you. They even bought a house down here. So how could that become less valuable? over time because your reputation has gotten better and better and better. Your fishing skills have gotten better and better and better, but your customer base has gone down and down and down and down and down. 
And that those customers are getting older and older and older. And also, they don't want to tell anybody where they're going or who they're going with <laughs> because they don't want anybody to have your time. So you've become, you you actually have have started to torpedo your business like that, even though that's exactly what you wanted. Like for me, it was like, well, I don't want to have a new relationship every single day. I don't want to have to go and introduce myself and and try to make a a good um, impression until noon until they actually have confidence in you, right? Like, okay, I guess this guy is for real, right? You want to go with people that you've already been with. You want to go with a with a with a uh, a comfortable relationship to where it's almost like family, right? Even better than family because they pay you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> family, you have to take them for free. Um, but it's interesting to look at something like that and be like, yeah, man, you're you've just gone down and down and down in value, and I'm sure. Big businesses are the same way to where you have, if you, like you say, you have a, what do you call it, a customer concentration? Right, yeah. And yeah. so when you do that, it seems like, well, I only have to deal with these one this, this one group, and we're making more money than we ever have. But what if they go away? Or what if technology changes or something like that? That's really interesting. I never really looked at it like that. But, yeah, you are just making your business less and less and less valuable doing things like that. And I guess that's a choice. Like you could say, okay, well, that's fine. I want to live my life like this and I want to run my business this way. And I like these people and that's what I want to do. Like I'd rather fish with them than have a valuable business. But then I guess 30 years down the road, you're kind of like, hmm. I think as long as, I think as long as you've assessed it that properly yeah. and, and, you, and you make the choice, I mean, you know, then, then that's okay. And you're thinking about what's what chapter two might look like, but as long as you've got that in the back of your mind that there may be a so-called day of reckoning. But more importantly, I want to be that guy that fishes a hundred times days a year. That's what right? I want to be. I want to be the client. That's, <laughs> that's what doing I'm trying that. to do. I'm trying to move 16 <laughs> feet. That's all I want to do in my in my world. I want to move 16 feet from the back of the boat to the front of the boat, so I can I can be the one fishing all the time. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, cool. Well, when people sell their business, that's a lot of times what they can do. They can move from the back of the boat to the front of the boat, or uh, the other way is they could move from the front of the boat to the back of the boat because what they want to do really is they want to just not have the pressure of running this big business. And what they'd really like to do is just be a fishing guide, man. It looks awesome. You're back there. You're fishing every day. You're on the water. That's awesome. So you could run, move from the front of the boat to the back of the boat, and that could be success. Or you could look at it the other way, and you're moving from the back of the boat to the front of the boat, and that's considered success. It's well, fine. you know, you, I'm glad you brought that up. One thing that we do tell clients on the very – the beginning of process, and by the way, these processes can take six to nine months mm. uh, from from the time we get started to understand what a business is about and how to position it, and then going out to market and, and answering the questions, and then doing all the legal you know documentation to get a deal closed. But we really do tell the owners, "What are you going to do? Have you really thought through? If you really do throw the keys, are you going to be a fishing guide? I mean." Are there, you know, there's only so many rounds of golf you can play. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you really going to do? Are you going to going to get involved with the philanthropy? But really think through what that's going to look like because it's 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 a game changer when you when you do that. I mean, we and we enjoyed some of those things. We sold a company, an electrical contractor company up in uh, Knoxville called Funderburk Electric, and what was really gratifying on that is that Jack Funderburk was 69 years old, and and when he sold the business, I said, "What are you going to do?" And he just says, "I'm." Right now, he was only spending like uh, he was spending about a month a year in the Philippines building churches mm. um, and seminaries and things like that, and uh, and he was going to uh, leave the business and be able to concentrate on that full time. So it was nice that we gave him a, a a liquidity event, so he was set for as far as monetarily for the rest of his life. But he also was going to take a lot of those funds and plow it right back into this ministry that he has. So mm. it's it's kind of Cool so he already that. had that, and he already had it all all planned out. Like, if I had more time, I know exactly what I'd do. Right, right. What, where, whatever that is for for somebody, that's super important. I had one customer of mine that, um, you know, he would come down. I think the first year he came down, maybe three days, and he said, "You know, I have a goal. Every year I'm going to add a day." And so then the next year it's four days. And I was like, "Man, you're a big orthopedic surgeon, man. Like you could you could just." Add a week if you want. He's like, well, I have five kids, and it's not that easy. So adding one day a year could be pretty awesome. And and you know that's been twenty years ago. And he spends now he spends a month in the Keys. Well, 
And he's been able to do that. He's been able to just add a day a year to his trip. Started at three days. Now he's, you know, and you know, maybe he has a couple of, of events or whatever where he, now you get a kid out of college or whatever. You're okay, next year it'll be, I'll add two days. But it is a kind of cool to, to think about little goals like that and how, how they could make a big difference. Like going from three days to 20 days, it's a lot harder than just saying I'm going to spend a month in the Keys or I'm going to spend a month in Montana or I'm going to spend yeah. a month in the Philippines or wherever. It, but if you do it incrementally, yeah. maybe you can. Build up that way. I think one thing, again, when you think about post-transaction, of having been a CEO and built and, and making all the trains run on time and then all of a sudden you're, quote, retired. Uh, the old retirement joke they say with the husband and wife say, I married you for richer or poorer but not for lunch every day. So, you know. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta find your your <laughs> wife's gonna be like. I hope you find something to do because uh, you're not gonna be hanging around here all day. Um, well, that's cool. Um, so, if somebody wanted to um, to to look you up and and find you, obviously you have great fishing knowledge. You're an easy person to talk to. You can go fishing, and um, you know a lot of people take their clients out and go play golf, but you can actually take your clients fishing. And, and you know what you're doing. So if somebody was interested in that, what would they do? What's the process look like to, to just like, they're like, I don't know if I really want to, um, you know, sign a contract or anything, but I would like to, you know, have lunch and talk, or maybe we go fishing and talk about, you know, this business that I have, like, what, what does that look like? Is that what you do? Uh, yeah. Again, uh, I've been doing this a long time. I've also, you know, took a detour out of the deal business to, to uh, help grow a restaurant company from uh, up to about 90 million of revenues, which we then sold to a private equity firm. So I kind of know what the process looks like on the other end. And I'm probably like a successful guides that you were just talking about before. If we go through this process, it's going to be a six to nine month process. It's going to be filled up with emotion. It's going to be highs and lows. You're going to get a big, some big, you know, offers come in and all of a sudden they change the offer. There's a bunch of things that go on. So during the six to nine month process, we're going to be living together. And uh, it's kind of like thinking about guiding somebody for three days. You want to have to make sure that there's some good chemistry there. And uh, so we do like to spend a lot of time with people up front before we sign any kind of engagement agreement or finding out what their objectives are and uh, whether or not we think we be, would be a good match with them and, and they'd be a good match with us. So, um, you know, you can look us up and, uh, you know, we have a website, fourbridgescapital.com. Uh, we also have some uh, – materials on there that actually you can download that tell you what a sales process looks like. Um, I think the last time we saw uh, that book had been downloaded by, I think, 30 other investment banks like us, so it must have something good in it. So uh, (laughs) uh, if people want to get a sense for what the process is is like, they can start there. All right, cool. And uh, what, what about fishing this year? You got any other fishing trips coming up? Well, my youngest daughter's getting uh, married in uh, Montana at uh, in September, so uh, I'm trying to figure out all, ki- all kinds of reasons to go out there and do pre-wedding planning. So oh, there's, hopefully, there's a get million out there. There's a million. Just, just I think the most, the, probably the best time to do that is right after the river's clear from the from the snowmelt runoff. Like you might want to give it a little couple of weeks here, and then 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 you should really go out there and and really kind of bear down on, on that wedding planning. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, and it's hard to ignore what we have going on here in uh, East Tennessee. I've got a good friend who's does a lot of fishing up on the South Holston mm. and the Watauga. Uh, we hit that last year when uh, the uh, cicada hatch was out there and uh, nice. that was a ball. I mean, that's that, that South Holston river is the coldest river. I think I've ever <laughs> put my leg in. It is incredibly cold. It comes out from the bottom of that and it has that weird dam there. Yeah, the, the weird. Yeah. And, that is the coldest river. I mean, I've been to Alaska all over the place, and that river is the coldest river I think I've ever – I don't know what the average temperature there is, but every time I've gone there, it's freezing cold. Great fishing. Yeah. Great it's amazing. Fishing. Yeah, that is I mean, really – You know, river. like you, I grew up here in Chattanooga, but it kind of wasn't on my radar screen yeah. when I was a youngster. You know, I'd go to the Hiawassee a lot, but uh, – that uh, Holston, Watauga, what a great fisheries. We're blessed to have those. Yeah, with a smallmouth, too. Really good. Hmm, so, those. Yeah, the, that, that Watauga's got a lot of good smallmouth fishing in it, I think. Um, and then there's there's other great smallmouth areas right around there. That's what my son's interested in. He wants to 
he wants to get into that kind of fishing, that smallmouth, shoal bass kind of stuff. Yeah. The shoal bass, that's that's a pretty good fishing too. Um, a lot of guys are into, but it's you know these beautiful little rivers and you float down and catch those fish. Yeah. Pretty awesome. All right, Andy. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming and give us some advice, and uh, we'll do it again. Cool. Thanks for having me. All right. See you. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv